everybody welcome in everybody welcome in welcome to the total coverage podcast the season two edition yes season two the second season of the total coverage podcast on the sirius xm podcast network oh my god so excited to be with you as always i am kirk morrison your eight-year nfl veteran current sirius xm nfl analyst you can catch me on NFL radio, on multiple shows throughout the SiriusXM platform, man. I'm getting right into it. A great weekend of football we just had. And, oh, man, we're going to get a chance to break down so much in this show. We're going to preview maybe a couple games for next week, but we're going to review some of the great performances of week number one. Always remember, tell your friends, you can find the podcast. That's right, the Total Coverage Podcast on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget, in just a couple seconds, we're going to have Jim Trotter um, of the NFL Network, NFL writer. He'll join us and, and give us his lowdown on what we saw in week number one. So I can't wait to talk to Jim. Uh, after that, we'll talk about my guy, Jameis Winston. Yeah, he's one of those hot performers for the week. I can't wait to get a chance to talk about him. Uh, and then another couple of performances this weekend. Darren Waller, the tight end for the Las Vegas Raiders and what he was able to do. And you know we got to get defensive. That's right, getting defensive with Chandler Jones. That's right, we're going to talk about his performance this week, week one over uh, the Tennessee Titans and making guys tweet about how bad they looked against Chandler Jones. I'll tell you all about that in just a little bit. But we turn now to my guy, a guy I've known for a very long time. He's Jim Trotter. Look, Jim, as an NFL veteran writer such as yourself for NFL media, like how do you summarize week one in the NFL? What, what really drew your attention most about week one? First and foremost? Yeah. It wasn't anything on the field. It was actually in the stands, being able to mm. see fans back at games. You know, last year, I remember I, I, uh, the first two weeks, I went up to LA to SoFi for the Rams home opener and the Chargers home opener. And man, I just, truthfully, I didn't want to be there. It didn't feel like NFL football. It didn't feel real without the fans. And they bring so much energy to not only the game, but the players, you know? So um, after week two last season, I didn't go to another stadium. And um, so to be back this year, week one, and to feel that energy from the fans, uh, that's what stood out to me most. In terms of on the field, yeah. you know, it's all the things we've talked about. Um, you know, the, the Bucks coming out strong, Brady coming out strong was, was impressive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, seeing Chandler Jones do what he did uh, was <laughs> just insane. Um, you know, I look at, the way that Jameis Winston played, there was so much focus on how was he going to fit in Peyton's offense? You know, could he take care of the football? All those sorts of things. That was um, interesting. Uh, you know, on the negative side, seeing the Packers come out and just lay an egg, I did not anticipate. Or even seeing Tennessee come out and play as poorly as it did at home uh, really surprised me. Um, but I could go through every team, Kirk, and give you, you know, something that was – um, you know, a storyline for their week one, but we, we'd be here all day. Yeah. You know, uh, your background as a San Diego Union Tribune contributor or the team reporter for the Chargers, you had a relationship with Drew Brees when he was there. And so I know you've kept in contact with Drew when even when he was in New Orleans. Drew Brees retires this year. 
And here's Jameis Winston wins the starting quarterback job. And you, you alluded to it. Watching Jameis Winston this weekend, just your thoughts on where Jameis, not only can he go, but did the league really take notice and forget how good Jameis Winston was as a quarterback coming out of uh, Florida State? Well, I think what happened um, in 2019, where he threw for, what, 33 touchdowns, but had 30 interceptions? Correct. I think that people um, locked in on the interceptions and and didn't look at it in its full context. And I'm not trying to make excuses for the interceptions, but Bruce Arians offense in year one is tough on every quarterback. I don't care who it is. Right. You know, going back to Roethlisberger to um, um, Carson, uh, Carson Palmer. Palmer. Yep. You know, even even Brady struggled with it a little bit early in the season uh, last year until they had a meeting of the minds and they put in more of what Tom wanted to do and those sorts of things. So it's a tough offense to, to, to grasp because Bruce likes to take his chances down the field, but you still have to be smart about it at the same time. And Jameis being a gunslinger, as he says, using his terminology, coming out of Florida State, he's like, I got to keep getting a big play, big play, big play. And that's not always a smart play. So for me, the best thing Jameis ever did was go sit for a year in New Orleans and learn from Drew and to learn from Sean Payton. And one of the things he told me that jumped out at me in, in Sunday's game was Drew told him, don't be results oriented, be decision oriented. And by that, he means don't always look for the big play. Take what the defense is giving you. Jameis told me this anecdote that he's watching um, actually the, the Saints play the Raiders two years ago. And it's late in the game and they're trailing and they need to make plays. And Drew's just kind of methodically going down the field with little, little, you know, short passes, this sort of thing. And Jameis is like, why aren't we hurrying? Why aren't we going faster? You know, we got to get some, some chunks. And when he talked to Drew either on the sideline or after, and Drew told him, that's what the defense was giving me. And so I had to take it. I couldn't take those chances and, and possibly create a turnover there. And then we got no chance. So those sorts of things resonated with Jameis. And I jokingly say that now he's kind of Drew Brees 2.0, because after sitting under Drew for a year, in the offseason, he even came out to San Diego and trained under Drew's trainer, personal trainer. Oh, you know, wow. that's how committed he was to doing what the things that Drew was doing that Drew said made him successful. So I do believe that this is going to be a successful season for him. And it's not just him. The one thing I love about Sean Payton and his staff is whether it's Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill or Jameis. What Sean does is he adjusts his play calling to the individual strengths of each quarterback. And I will never forget, what was it, three years ago, I believe, when Drew went down and Teddy came in and they beat the Seahawks Teddy's first game as a starter. Right. I remember. And Sean walks into the, the, the media room after and he looked like he just lost the game. And I remember asking him, why do you look so down? And he said, I've got to do a better job of calling plays for Teddy. I'm not calling plays for Drew. And he adjusted his play calling. You saw Teddy went five and oh, as a starter while Drew was out. So for all those reasons, I know I'm being long-winded, but that's why I believe Jameis will be successful this year. Well, um, you're not being long-winded at all because you're bringing up valid points and, and why I think we see some of the success that we had from some of those quarterbacks outside of Jameis Winston. You mentioned Teddy Bridgewater. He had a successful weekend. Uh, with the Denver Broncos. You could also throw in a situation with Tyrod Taylor. He had an outstanding uh, uh, game as well. And then Jalen Hurts, who's my fantasy quarterback, by the way. 
And I'm seeing this kind of shift in quarterbacks, obviously quarter, you know, uh, quarterbacks of color as well. But it seems that now, like, the game is a little bit different because the quarterback position is starting to be more of a pocket and cerebral. But yet, when you go out and you get out of the pocket, you're not escaping to go run and make play. You just say, I'm just trying to escape to get to the next down. I'm seeing more of that. Yeah, Kirk, I'll say this. It's I wouldn't even put it on the quarterbacks now. I think finally coaches Mm. are more receptive to this style of quarterbacking. You know, for so long, as you know, I'm an old man, so I remember (laughs) everything had to be, you know, pocket passer. You don't want a scrambler, you know, all that sort of crap. And now um, in order for the NFL to survive, these coaches were going to have to adjust because the game beneath them was changing at the youth level, at the college level, where it's more RPO and this, that, and the other. So if that's your talent pool for you to succeed at the NFL level, you're going to have to draw from that and play to those strengths. And we are now seeing more coaches do that, which for me, um, it's long overdue. I'll say this too. It was interesting last year. I hadn't thought about it, but um, we were talking to Doug Williams around week three or week four. And he said, um, do you realize that in week one, we had, uh, or no, it wasn't week one, but you're saying it was week two, week three, whatever it was, that there were going to be four games in which the starting quarterbacks who were facing off were quarterbacks of color. And he said, I thought back to when I played against Vince um, Evans, and that was the first time the NFL had ever had two black quarterbacks as the starters facing off against each other in a game. And the thing he said that was so interesting to him is how no one was making a big deal about it. It was not a storyline. Right. I think that we've moved in that direction now where we're seeing the Jalen Hurts or, you know, go down the list, Kyler Murray, all of them, who have these certain skill sets um, and, and it's, it's not a big deal anymore to see us behind center and to playing the way or playing to our strengths, our skill set. So for me um, it's progress, but it took a hell of a long time to get to this point. <laughs> I know you probably got an anecdote for me here because you've covered the league for so long, but I'm looking at the situation in green Bay. And here's a team that's been to the last two NFC championships, Jim. And yet, instead of them playing as if they have something to prove, that this is the year that we're going to get over the hump, it seemed that they were so more worried about Aaron and what Aaron was doing and the kind of the distraction that it became this offseason. They played like a distraction or they played like a distracted football team. I know Aaron Rodgers is saying, hey, just relax. It's just one game. But how taken backwards were you at that performance by the Packers? Oh, it was awful. I, I mean, there, there's no sugarcoating it, but I'm not one of these people who's going to overreact because I, I do believe in what Aaron is saying, and that is relax. They have a lot of talent on that team. They have to get their mindset right without question. Um, I, I agree with, with uh, Matt LaFleur. It was embarrassing the way that they played, even though Aaron used the word disappointing. I think it's both. It's both disappointing and embarrassing. So there's too much talent on that team to say that that's how they're going to play all year. I don't see it. I see them riding themselves and and being in the middle of things, um, particularly late in the year. But there's no question that everything that went on this offseason, it was a distraction. And I think with the Packers, you got an MVP quarterback coming off a season where you guys just went to the NFC Championship game, as you said, in back-to-back years. 
And so obviously, understandably, you want to try and, and, and bring him back and see if you can make that run one more time and get over that hump. And so you allowed some of these things to go on this offseason that, that typically a team would not allow to go on. And they paid a price for it in week one. We'll see how they play in week two. I'm willing to, 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 to wager that they'll play much better. You know, there was a performance down in, uh, in Las Vegas on Monday night that a lot of people got a chance to see. Uh, where the Raiders, they won. Yeah, I had to bring up a Raider question. I, I, I see that smile on your face. <laughs> so go ahead. Well, I had to bring up a Raider question because I think for one night, um, you know, the Raiders, they won a game. And John Gruden looks to be, you know, not necessarily off the hot seat just yet. But you can see the smiles of them opening up that new building. But Darren Waller is a, uh, is, is a tight end. And I'm going to talk about him a little bit later on, on the pod. But he's a guy that's really coming into his own. And watching him ascend in, in, in the NFL has been fun to watch. But the Raiders get the win. They Derek Carr plays well. It's a revamped team. How, how good can these Raiders be this year? Good. Um, you know, I, I have jokingly said, I don't want to talk about the Raiders until November. Ah, uh, yeah. Because in Great recent point. years, yeah, that's, that's been their MO. They start fast, fairly fast, and then they fade off after Thanksgiving. I think they started what six and two or five yes, and three six, each of the six last and three years. last year. Yeah. Yeah. It was something. And and then they just disappeared. So it's like, I told myself, I'm not going to get caught up into that this year. Let's just wait until November and see what happens. The thing I liked about yesterday, um, and I'm going to skip over the fact that I have issues with the way that they drafted and those sorts of things. Yes. Um, I think they've wasted a lot of money in free agency trying to correct for those mistakes. And I think that they have wasted a lot of high draft picks where you should have impact and not just good players. You should have Hall of Fame caliber players. But that's another story. As I look at last night, what I loved about them was the grit. You know, the fact that um, you could have guys going down and other guys were just going to step in and say, you know what, we're going to get it done. And, you know, um, I look at the defensive line, you know, after Ndokwe goes off, Crosby just played like a man possessed. You know, um, um, this, I always struggle with his name, Nassib, Nassim. Uh, yeah, Carl Nassib, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he came in, had a big play for them, um, you know, with increased reps. You know, Josh Jacobs playing on that toe, man. People don't know for a running back for him and a guy who cuts the way he cuts. Right. He shouldn't be out there with that. And yet he's sucking it up, trying to give them something. Um, you know, and I was happy for for um, Derek Carr. I mean, look, I've never seen a quarterback take so much grief where it's just my opinion. I don't think it's deserved, you right. know, um, and I'm not saying he's perfect and I'm not saying he's the second coming, but he's he's a damn good quarterback. And there are a lot right. of teams that would love to have him. So. Um, for Gruden to show faith in him, um, you know, at the end of regulation with no timeouts to be able to go down and, and a couple of plays and, and um, put them in position for the field goal. And then in, in overtime to be able to throw the pass in a zero coverage where, you know, if you mess that up or you take the sack or lose the football, you know, the game could be over. So, yeah, I, I give them, they showed me a lot of grit, but again, I, having said that, for me, you got to show me you're in it for the long haul. And I'm just going to kind of reserve judgment until then. But they, they look, they should, Kirk, they should be in the mix with all the draft picks that they've had, with all <laughs> exactly. the money that they've spent. <laughs> I mean, hell, 
you know, I give Gruden grief at times because he took a roster that two years earlier had gone to the playoffs and he stripped it down to the studs, you know, for no other reason, in my opinion, to some extent than ego. They weren't his guys. And so he has now rebuilt this team in his image. These are his guys. You can talk about Mayock, but we know who has the final say on all of these calls. So from my standpoint, this is all about Gruden. And um, we'll see how it goes later in the year. But for one night, I mean, that was a tremendous win for them. Yeah, tremendous win, opening up the stadium with fans. But again, like you told me, I got to wait till I'm eating turkey to figure out where the Raiders yeah. <laughs> are. They going to be good or not. Hey, Jim, look, I know you've got a busy schedule. I, I appreciate the time as always, and I look forward to catching up soon, man. No, anytime you need me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm always here, happy to help. So continued success to you, and, and we'll do it again. Hi, everyone. This is Heisman Trophy winner and NFL quarterback Doug Flutie. I'm excited to tell you that my podcast, the Flutie Flakes cast, is back for the entire football season. I may have played like 21 years of professional football in three different leagues, but I'm still just a big kid and I absolutely love this game. Every week we'll talk about the topics I care about and bring on super fun guests. So please subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast or listen on the SXM app. Include it with most subscriptions. Jameis Winston, remember that name. Do we remember Jameis Winston, the former Heisman Trophy winner, national champion at Florida State University? It seems like a lot of people don't speak his name in or speak too kindly of Jameis Winston because of his play on the field. I'll leave the off the field stuff. I think that he's had some things that he's gone through, some some maturity things that he's grown through. And he, to me, has been an outstanding football player that had a couple of bad seasons. Remember, Jameis Winston was a number one overall pick for a reason. The guy could play football. The guy knew how to spin it. He can read defenses. He could do a lot. But I think also, too, as a talented quarterback, you get too confident. And when you get too confident, you make mistakes. And when you make too many mistakes, well, that's what happens to uh, your position. You, uh, you, get, you get it taken. But in his case, the guy who they replaced Jameis Winston with only happens to be the GOAT, Tom Brady. So the GOAT uh, for the Buccaneers, well, the GOAT to the Buccaneers is something that made it a little bit easier, for, I think, for Jameis. Uh, but he had an opportunity to go somewhere else and play football. He chose to go to the New Orleans Saints. A lot of people looked at that, that, that decision as, why is he going there? For what? He's not challenging Drew Brees. Well, he challenged Drew Brees, but in a different way. He challenged to be a better quarterback and learning what Drew Brees did every single day. For an entire year, he was the backup. And he's not even the backup. It was Taysom Hill's the backup, so he was the third-string quarterback. Didn't play a lot at all, but he learned a lot from Drew. He won the competition with Taysom Hill this week. Oh, I'm sorry, this, this preseason. But it was what Jameis Winston did in week one that really, for everyone that didn't or didn't believe he could do it, that didn't understand what was going on. For me, I'll say this. I've been a believer in Jameis Winston since he got to the National Football League. Been a big believer of And even when he threw the 30-30, right? The 30 touchdowns, 30 plus interceptions. I mean, 30 plus touchdowns, 30 interceptions. Everybody's like, wow, how, how can you do that? Like, how can he's done? I said, sometimes you just need, you just need a, uh, some new scenery. 
Jameis Winston just needed somewhere else to play football just because it just wasn't working out in Tampa. And there's nothing wrong with Tampa. But he went through multiple offensive coordinators, multiple head coaches. That That's tough. That's tough on any player. But he got with Sean Payton. And Sean Payton, let's be honest, is a quarterback whisperer, quarterback guru. I mean, remember, he's the one that says, you know what, I want... I want Drew Brees to be my quarterback. Way back when Drew Brees was that free agent, remember? And everybody thought he was going to be a possible Miami Dolphin and go with Nick Saban. Sean Payton believed in him. Believed in him so much that he brought him in. And obviously Drew Brees' career history, I mean, his history as a New Orleans Saint proved uh, Sean Payton very right. Proved him correct. People forget Sean Payton also was offensive coordinator who believed in one guy by the name of Tony Romo. Remember, he was on that Parcells staff that said, hey, I know I'm probably going to take a job with the New Orleans Saints, but you may want to think about playing this Tony Romo kid. I think he's going to be pretty good. Did that work out? Yeah, it worked out. And so now when Sean Payton takes a sort of, not necessarily a guy who's a project, but a guy who just needs fixing, right? You just fix him up a little bit. He's still got all the skills. He's still going to be great. That's what Jameis Winston is. And Sean Payton fixed him up to a tune that in week one, in week one, Jameis Winston went out and had one of his best performances I had ever seen him play. I'm talking from college to pro, Jameis Winston was fantastic. And the crazy part about it, it's not like he threw the ball 50 some odd times. Jameis Winston was 14 of 20 for 148 yards but he threw up the five piece. And no, I'm not talking about a five piece chicken at your local chicken restaurant. No, he threw up a five piece, five touchdowns, five touchdowns thrown. And a lot of people didn't expect that, didn't see that coming. I'm not gonna say I jump, I was jumping on from yelling, screaming from the mountaintops that Jameis Winston is gonna be this type of quarterback. But I did say, I wanna see what he looks like in this offense having taken a year off. Very similar to what we see with young quarterbacks in the league sometimes that take that year off like a Patrick Mahomes. You know, we saw Aaron Rodgers do it when he first got in. When those guys take a little time off, reevaluate, and then go back out there, they seem to be better prepared. Jameis Winston was much more prepared this time. He went out and executed a game plan. He came out smoking. He came out hot. And he only threw it 20 times. Think about it, 20 times. Tell me a quarterback could throw for 20 times and throw five touchdowns. So put it like this for all my math wizards out there. So he threw 20 passes, five touchdowns. So that's basically every four passes, one of them was a touchdown. Think about that. Every four passes he threw, one of them was a touchdown. That's called coaching. That's called being efficient. That's called Jameis Winston being a pro. And it was one of those things that, look, when you have the running game going with Alvin Kamara, it's like Jameis Winston is a guy who, to me, continues to grow and grow and grow. In this game, what I saw is one thing, and I'll keep reiterating it too. Jameis Winston is not necessarily the best leader. And I'm not saying off the field. I'm not talking about his personal choice or things like that or whatever he's got going on like that. 
I'm just saying, Jameis Winston wants to be like a team captain, leader. He's like that in college because he does work hard. He does put in the work. He does study. But sometimes being a leader, his leadership skills, remember the whole eating of the W kind of thing and him giving certain speeches before the game? In New Orleans, he doesn't have to be Drew Brees. You just got to be Jameis Winston. Be the best version of Jameis Winston. Not have to prove to somebody or a group of guys somebody who you're not. That's one thing that I see that people don't see. He doesn't have to go out there, get everybody out up in the huddle and say, hey, play your best. Give me everything you got. No, Drew used to do that. But you're not Drew. You go out there and you say, hey, let's execute. Have a more personal relationship with guys on your team. Go one-on-one with a guy. Hey, here we go, man. Let's have a big day. You don't need to be doing the extracurricular stuff like eating a W and all that stuff. That's what helps you win. That's what helps you become the leader that you, I think, can be. Where it's not so much hung up on you having to lead the guys, but lead by example. Lead by how you work. And the leadership aspect will come. But I think that's pressure that's not put on him. Meaning the pressure is not on him to be a leader because he was their backup quarterback, (laughs) all right? Like, you can't go from backup quarterback to leader. It just don't happen. I don't care who you are. I literally, I do not care who you are. You can't be the captain of a team when you once used to be the third string backup. It's like, no, it don't work that way. And Jameis Winston, I think, is actually to his advantage that it stays that way. Because you have the, you know, the, the... Cam Jordans, you have the, you know, eventually like when he comes back, but Mike Thomas, you know, that the guys along the offensive line on defense, you got the secondary players, you got, um, you know, Demario uh, Davis, you've got, you know, those types of players that are your leaders, that Jameis doesn't have to show up to be a leader. He just has to show that he can come up there and be the best Jameis Winston that he can be. So, Jameis, to me, I just want you to kind of figure this all out. Is Has Jameis reached the ceiling already for the season, or can he get better? I think he can get better. I think he can get better. He seems poised. He seems confident. I think the way that he threw the football definitely showed that he's been putting in the time, he's been putting in the effort, he's been putting the work. And I hear from him in his press conferences. I hear from him in his, the way that he's speaking to his teammates. I think this has been the best thing for him. And look, I'll leave it at this when it comes to Jameis Winston. He's only getting paid, you know, not top-tier quarterback money. He's getting paid just, you know, in the quarterback terms or the in the quarterback lingo, he's getting paid peanuts, man. This has been a steal for the New Orleans Saints. Now, I know it's only one game, and I want to see him improve still. But the way Jameis Winston, the, the start that he's off to, you have to love what he's doing at the quarterback spot, man. So, Jameis Winston, kudos to week one. I want to see, can you do it again in in week number two? I termed the phrase Waller, Waller, Waller. Because it kind of goes with like baller, 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 Waller, Waller, Waller. Darren Waller is quickly becoming one of the best tight ends in the NFL. I put him in that category of top two, top three of the Travis Kelsey's of the George Kittles, right? Those types of tight ends in the NFL that are 
been at that top echelon for the last couple of seasons. Darren Waller has reached that, 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 that top tier. He's reached it. And very quickly, he's done it. Not only has he been Derek Carr's top target, but he seems to be at unstoppable at times. And if you watch Monday Night Football, Darren Waller, the tight end for the Las Vegas Raiders, was targeted 19 times. 19 targets. It's a whole lot of targets, by the way. His quarterback, Derek Carr, threw the ball 50, I think about 56, 58 times. So again, I'm doing math again for all my math majors out there. For every three passes Derek Carr threw on Monday Night Football, one of them was in the direction of Darren Waller. Darren Waller has shown that he just cannot be guarded, whether he's one-on-one on the outside with a corner, linebacker, safety, whether he's put in a slot, whether he's got his hand down in the dirt as a tight end, uh, on the, as an end man of the line of scrimmage. He's continuously finding ways to get open, and it's making it tough on defenders. Monday night against the Baltimore Ravens, I thought the Ravens would have a plan. And yeah, that plan just didn't work out because he erupted for, I mentioned the 19 targets, but it was the 10 catches that went along with it. It was the 105 yards, but it was also the big touchdown when his team needed it. He is a massive player, big, strong, fast, and he's finally put it all together. And you can see why he was able to do that. It was because he has a, a rapport and a trust with his quarterback and Derek Carr that no matter where he's at, he's going to throw it to him. Like Derek Carr will force the ball in a double coverage. We've seen it this year so far. He will force it because he believes that his guy, Darren Waller, is better than your guy, is better than your cornerback, your safety, your linebacker. And so when he is, I think, kind of forcing it to him, you know, Darren Waller seems to be the guy that says, I want more. And Derek Carr is going to feed him more. But you don't want to go too heavy with Darren because you take away from some of the other younger players on the offense. And I think Derek Carr notices that. And once he went away from Darren Waller, it opened up more for the younger players, wide receivers. Now, since it's already opened up for the younger receivers, that means you're going to get more opportunities for Darren Waller. That's what the Raiders are going to have to deal with. They're going to continuously try to get better week in and week out because teams are going to go in with a game plan. But the game plan to stop Darren Waller is always difficult, like I saw on Monday night, because he lines up everywhere. He lines up at wide receiver. He'll line up in the slot. He'll line up as the number three receiver to a three receiver side. He'll he'll line up as an X receiver, being the only receiver on one side. So he, he'll do all of the things that most tight ends not necessarily can do, yet he can do it. Travis Kelsey can do it. I'll throw that in there. George Kittle can do that. Yeah, I'm not saying that he's the only one that's doing it, but it's a special group of guys that are able to do that. I call them coverage indicators because I never wanted to be the guy to give away the coverage. So a coverage indicator is a player or a motion or a shift and you want to see the defense's tan. It's like we're playing blackjack and you make a move. And in that move, you show your hand, right? You're trying to get the, the, the opponent to show their hand. That way you can make your adjustments. 
you know if you need to do max protection you know if you can take a shot down the field there's a lot but darren waller is a coverage indicator because a lot of times it gives you the book to the test on what type of play you're going to run whether it's a you know a, a zone route whether it's a fade whether it's an inside breaking route he has all of that in his bag and that's the one thing that was going to make this offense go for the Las Vegas Raiders. They have to continue to get the ball to Darren Waller. And maybe I said forcing it, and it is forcing it to a degree, but sometimes it's hard to say, why not force it when he's your best offensive weapon, especially down near the red zone. He has to get the ball more. Yes, I know it was 19 targets. Why not make it 20, 21? Because it's going to force defenses to have to figure a plan for him. And once that happens, now you can go to the Henry Ruggs, the Brian Edwards. You start going to guys who are complimentary pieces to the offense, and the offense will continue to blossom. I believe that. I truly do. Because when you have the night like Derek Carr had on Monday night, you have confidence in the guy who's right next to you, and Darren Waller, that he's always going to be open. And when you're that open, you're going to get the yardage. You're going to get the touchdowns. You're going to get the play. I just think that now Darren Waller has elevated himself into as a top three tight end in the NFL. He truly is a top three tight end in the NFL because I don't know many more that are better than him. And the guys who are better than him, I think, can look back and say, uh, yeah, he's nipping on our heels. He catches everything. He runs the smoothest routes. And he's more of a physical wide receiver than uh, or physical tight end than people give him credit for. Right, I, I believe that. He is very physical. And I think that's why he's been unstoppable. Watch the film again, watch. He's been unstoppable because he's just a bigger body. He's been, guys got great length. He's got great positioning. And he can just push you out of the way if he needs to while the ball's in the air. So the more and more I look at where Waller is going, I don't necessarily call him the, the 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 guy. If he's not having a good game, the Raiders going to lose. No, I'm calling him the guy, right? That you're happy to have him on your team because you know that he can. He's a game changer, and when you're a game changer, the way that he is, it's only going to get better. Now, my next question would be this: Darren Waller signed a contract extension last year. Uh, it's about seven million guaranteed. I think Darren Waller's agent may need to go back to the Raiders and say, "Hey, look." And Mark Andrews just got a deal paying him 16. Darren Waller's maybe the top tight end in the NFL. It's about time to rip this contract up. So I think that's something that we will see in the coming days, hopefully soon. But the Raiders have to figure something out quickly because Darren Waller has already outplayed his contract in just a short period of time. And I think that he still hasn't reached his peak. He's a young 29-year-old tight end. Yeah, he got started late. Has he reached his peak? No, but I will continue to see how much better he can get. And if Derek Carr is on your roster, Darren Waller has to be on your roster because he is what's making this Raider offense go. Celebrate Live is Alive. Sirius XM is giving current subscribers the chance to win two tickets to 12 of the biggest events on the 2022 sports calendar, plus cash for travel costs and expenses. One winner and a guest will get the chance to travel the country and experience 12 marquee events, including Super Bowl 56, the NBA Finals, and the World Series, courtesy of SiriusXM. For official rules and to enter, go to SiriusXM.com slash ultimate sports fan. 
no purchase necessary, open to current Sirius XM subscribers as of July 21st, 2020. Ends October 15th, 2021. Void where prohibited. Chandler Jones, Chandler Jones. Remember a couple days ago, Chandler Jones had said, look, I, I, I want to be traded. Just trade me. I want a new contract. And kind of people balked at his thoughts of how can a guy last year coming off of an injury can actually voice his demands on what he wants. Maybe the team doesn't necessarily have the the money just yet in terms of you know being able with the salary cap to give him a bump up and pay. And so Chandler Jones still reported to training camp, went through the practices, and was able available in week number one. And we all knew that this Cardinals defense was going to be better. You know, you add JJ Watt, you add obviously we know Buda Baker is one of the All Pro guys. They drafted these last two years uh, inside linebackers um, who, to me, can flat out run, can hit guys. They've got depth in a lot of areas. But Chandler Jones was a guy that really you was a game wrecker and a guy who you had to keep your eye on. And for some reason, I don't think the Tennessee Titans knew that. The Arizona Cardinals went out there and they were, I think, they would have been one of the bigger victories of the day. But it was just so bad how they beat them up. 38-13. Because Tennessee, people thought like, hey, this is a team that was in the AFC Championship a couple games a couple years ago. They've upgraded in some areas. They've got a quarter. I mean, they got the quarterback. They got the running back. They added Julio Jones. This is going to be a team to reckon with. And yet, you know, pretty much the Cardinals just had their way with them. Chandler Jones had a career high. Five piece, yes, the same. This is different than the five piece Jameis had. Jameis had a five piece touchdown. This was a five piece sack with two forced fumbles that resulted in the Cardinals scoring 14 points. So he had five, a five piece and a biscuit. That's what I'm gonna throw in for Chandler Jones. But it was uh, an outstanding performance by Chandler Jones, who looked quick, he looked fast. He looks swift, agile. He had the great bend around the corner, around the edges. He really frustrated that offensive line for the Tennessee Titans. He he had him so frustrated that Taylor Lewan, the tight the, the left tackle for the Titans, had to literally come out and almost apologize and say, "Hey, I I had a bad game, everybody. Like that just wasn't me." But I don't think he had necessarily had a bad game. It's just that Chandler Jones was in the zone. And he was fast. He was speed. He he did everything possible to get around that corner. And I think now you're seeing a guy who is trying to prove it that he's still one of the best defensive players in this league. He still feels slighted for not winning defensive player of the year a couple years back. I think he does. Aaron Donald got that honor. Yet Chandler Jones had more sacks. I think Chandler Jones realized that I, I'm coming for blood. I want to be the NFL's defensive player of the year. And maybe adding J.J. Watt also puts that in perspective for him because J.J. Watt has won some defensive player of the years. So now that they, here's a situation in which he is going to go out and continue to try to terrorize quarterbacks. I mean, Chandler Jones, that performance we hadn't seen I mean, in a long, long time. 
I think it was that he tied the franchise record of sacks in a in a season. I'm sorry, in a season last couple couple years ago. But the five sacks were the third most by a player in a season opener. Think about that. Five sacks is the third most by a player in a season opener. Now, Derek Thomas had six to open the 1998 season. Now, that's the guy who I always wanted to be like growing up. So, number 58 for the Kansas City Chiefs was my guy. But Chandler Jones definitely has put the NFL uh, on notice. Every offensive line lineman now has to worry about Chandler Jones. Where do we keep him? Where do we find him at? How do we keep him in front of us? Those are the things that now you're going to have to keep listening to. And the crazy part about it is how for Chandler Jones to go out and make those types of plays, get the ball to his offense and his offense scores points, it also eliminates Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry only had 58 yards in the day. Well, because they had to get out of rhythm a little bit to start throwing the football. And when you're throwing the football, every defensive player in the world will tell you, I can't wait. Because once I know what you're doing, then I can start to play the game in my head a little bit. Okay, I'm going to hit him with this move, and I'm going to come back with that move. That's the fun part of football. When it's an obvious passing situation where you say, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And you're going to go here, you're going to go there. That's the stuff that, 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 that helps out a pass rush like tremendously. And that's what Chandler Jones in week one has done to every offensive line group, offensive line meeting. They have to be ready for it now. So they're going to practice it. They're going to keep an eye on him. Do I expect him to get five sacks again? Probably not. But now I think we're going to see him start to get more sacks in a different way, right? We're going to see him getting different sacks in a different way because you do add, I mentioned that, that depth that they have now along a defensive front that he's going to have to continue to just play his game. And then if he has to beat a double team, he will, or a triple team. He's going to do a lot, but to me, his performance like held everything true for the Arizona Cardinals. That to me, this could be one of the better defenses in the NFL. Just having the guys who are healthy on this roster that they didn't really have a year ago. So yeah, I don't want to see more of it. But man, you talk about an opener for Chandler Jones. Yes, fantastic, fantastic. And I can't wait to see what he does in week number two. Again, everybody, I just want to thank you again for coming on this ride on the Total Coverage Podcast, the season two edition, man. Our second episode, if you missed our first episode, don't forget, go to the SXM app, type in Total Coverage in the podcast tab, and that's where you'll find the Total Coverage Podcast to listen to all the episodes of the Total Coverage Podcast, man. Don't forget, you can find this podcast on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your products. Just remember that on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your products. So still a lot to uh, look forward to in the next couple of weeks. We've only one week down, right? One week down in the NFL season and so much more to get to. I can't wait to talk it to you. I can't wait to break it all down because like I said, the games just keep getting bigger and bigger each week. And hopefully we can continue to keep bringing you the best NFL content there is. So excited about that as always. So for this week, total coverage is done. But I can't wait for next week as we talk about some of the big games. Got a couple I'm thinking about. That Chargers-Cowboys games, I definitely know that's one that we'll be talking about. I can't wait for that one. 
So again, make sure you download this, this podcast on the Total Coverage Podcast on the Serious Podcast Network. Click the tab on the SXM app, type in Total Coverage, and boom, it's right there. You got it. All right, man, I'm going to catch you guys next week. We break down week number two in the NFL. Until then, good football, y'all. Total Coverage is part of the Serious XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Mike Kinahan. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. And special thanks to Sirius XM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen.